0: Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management biweekly Geopolitical Report podcast for September 26th, 2022. I'm Phil Adler. Recent, dramatic, and surprising gains by Ukraine in its war with Russia have broad political and investment implications. And here to discuss some of them are Confluence Chief Market Strategist Bill O'Grady and Confluence Market Strategist Patrick Fearon-Hernandez. Bill and Patrick, you co-authored the firm's new update on the war. And Patrick, in the report, you focused on the nuts and bolts of how the war has progressed on the ground. So I'll aim my first question at you first. Is it fair to say that Russia has not only been outfought by passionate Ukrainians defending their homeland, but has also been outmaneuvered as well? both militarily and politically. Yeah,
1: Phil, I I think that's true. Russia's shortcomings have extended far beyond just the fighting on the battlefield. Russia has also been caught unawares in terms of how the U.S. and its Western allies responded, politically and economically and militarily, and in terms of how Ukraine has been able to run such effective information warfare, and in how it's been able to keep building support from its allies. Russia's been roundly outmaneuvered in the war to date.
2: Yeah, Phil, hubris is is a major problem for leaders, not just Russian ones. You know, the U.S. found out that Iraqis didn't universally welcome the ouster of Saddam Hussein. I think Putin had such low regard for Ukrainians that he's made some serious errors, and frankly, he's still making them.
0: Well, Russia has clearly experienced great damage on a number of fronts. Let's look at the military first. Is Russia now in a desperate position of having to scramble for supplies and fighting personnel.
1: Well, I think very much so. Russia's lost literally hundreds of tanks, armored fighting vehicles, and other key weapon systems, not to mention the fact that it's already fired the lion's share of its high technology missiles. Because of the West's technology sanctions on Russia, the country will find it very difficult and slow to rebuild those inventories when the fighting ends. Even worse, the Russians have depleted a large share of their active duty troops. It looks like tens of thousands have been killed or wounded in battle while many of those whose tour of duty has ended have had enough and left the military. President Putin apparently dreads the political cost of fully mobilizing, so his military is struggling to bring in more troops. All in all, the Russians' resource base, as currently used, can't generate the additional combat power that Russia needs to turn the war around.
0: Well, What about Russia's economy? Is it holding up well enough to prevent serious dissent within its borders. Well, a wide range of reporting
1: suggests the Russian economy has stabilized. People have noted the loss of many Western businesses and inflation's high, but the authorities have managed to keep the war and its consequences out of mind for many people, especially in big cities like Moscow and St. Petersburg. The war is probably more noticeable in smaller, more remote communities where many of the casualties are from. But as of right now, it doesn't look like the domestic economic discontent is an issue yet.
2: Yeah, you know, Phil, the bigger issue may be longer term. You know, if the war ended tomorrow, Europe cannot unsee what Russia did to them on the energy front. And we expect sanctions to remain in place for a long time. Thus, Russia's long-term growth potential has been constrained by this war.
0: Well, let's turn to Russia's international reputation. Are countries around the world much less likely to fear Russia and look elsewhere for support?
1: Well, we think that's one of the main consequences from Ukraine's battlefield successes during September. Even before that, it was clear that the Russian military was weaker and more inept than anyone realized. Now, however, that's even clearer, and it's having big repercussions for Russia in world politics. For example, the Chinese and Indian leaders have both signaled that they want Russia to rethink its attacks. Russia's relative isolation and weakness have Have also encouraged China to take stronger steps toward building relationships with the Central Asian countries that the Kremlin long considered its own sphere of influence. And Russia's clearly lost influence in other formerly Soviet republics.
0: Well, gentlemen, your new report discusses the Ukraine war's impact on Armenia and Azerbaijan. Those two countries have been at odds for decades with armed conflict breaking out intermittently. With Russia's weakened condition exposed, do you expect perhaps Azerbaijan will step up militarily against Armenia?
2: It appears that Azerbaijan is the more powerful of the two nations. If you look at their real GDP per capita, Azerbaijan is about 1.8 times larger than Armenia. Azerbaijan is also a net exporter of oil and gas, and its current account is highly correlated to oil prices at about 89%. Thus, the current environment is highly favorable to Azerbaijan, and and it's taking advantage of that. In addition, Azerbaijan is allied with Turkey, which is aggressively playing both sides of the Ukraine conflict. For example, it sold military drones to Ukraine and, at the same time, has been a conduit of flight capital from Russia. Turkey would like to see Armenia, a Russian ally, undermined, and so it's supporting Azerbaijan's actions. With Russia distracted by the situation in Ukraine, Azerbaijan is taking advantage.
0: What opportunities and dangers does this situation pose
2: for the west well, anytime an oil and gas exporter is involved militarily, there is always a risk of supply disruption. Russia would have an incentive to aid Armenia, so disrupting those flows, although it may not have the wherewithal to do so. As we noted in our report, a declining Russia creates a power vacuum. Our expectation is that China will try to extend its reach through the Central Asian nations and, and perhaps even as far west as the Caucasus. This development would be a risk, which is likely why, Secretary of State Blinken has has become involved. Confluence
0: Investment Management is on record predicting the division of the world into at least two competing camps, one dominated by the United States, the other by China and including Russia. Does the recent turn of events in the Ukraine war have the effect of unifying the U.S.-led camp, in particular against detractors who might question the economic cost of supporting Ukraine.
1: Well, that's another big implication of Ukraine's successes in September. By making Ukraine look like a winner, those battlefield gains are likely to help justify the support that mainstream governments in the U.S. and Western Europe have given to Ukraine ever since the war started. The effect will be to at least partially undermine the more nationalist, isolationist groups in the West who question the economic cost of helping Ukraine. There are still political forces that want to step back from Ukraine and and push the Western governments toward populism, but the recent Ukrainian successes right now are helping to keep the Western alliance unified.
2: You know, another factor of the Ukraine war is that it exposed how weak and vulnerable the European nations are if they stand alone. But if they work together, they can have greater influence, and paradoxically, the drive for unity may be a response to this overall weakness.
0: Well, how about the other side? How are countries that are more friendly to China reacting to Russia's difficulties in Ukraine? And, and what does this say about unity within this block? Well,
1: remember that our analysis puts Russia in the China-led camp or the China-led bloc, uh, but it does so as a junior partner. Russia's difficulties mean that those countries that are more disposed toward China are still going to be in the China camp, but their relative position versus Russia will be higher. Essentially, Russia's difficulties are likely to cement it into a more junior position within the China-led bloc.
0: Does Ukraine's recent military success raise legitimate hope that the war might end soon. You know, I don't think so.
1: That would be going way too far. Russia still has enough resources to keep fighting, even if it can't substantially boost its combat power without a major mobilization. And it still has the leverage it gets from embargoing exports of energy and other commodities to Western Europe. Perhaps the most important of all, we suspect that President Putin still thinks he's winning. Of course, the apparent pressure from the Chinese and Indian leaders may start to change that, but we don't think that portends a near-term end to the war at this point.
2: Although I agree with Patrick on this point, it is important for investors to remember that war creates conditions where changes can occur rapidly. There is a possibility that the war could lead to Putin's removal from power. And that may lead to a new leader that will escalate the conflict through mobilization, or perhaps the opposite case where a new leader sues for peace. It's important to remember that when the Bolsheviks came to power, they ended Russia's participation in World War One. Even though this outcome is a low probability one, we do watch for outliers such as this in our analysis.
0: Do you think Putin still has the political capital in Russia right now to escalate the war dramatically?
1: Well, Ukraine's successes in September have finally prompted some criticism of Russia's Ministry of Defense and the uniformed leadership of the military. But that's been mostly from hardline nationalists who want Russia to keep prosecuting the war and secure a complete victory over Ukraine. So in that sense, Putin's political capital within the country seems basically intact. There still may be some hidden opposition to the war within society, but it remains under wraps for now. The main political cost for Putin has been in his relationships with China, India, and other countries in the region.
0: For months, Confluence has been recommending investments in mineral and energy commodities and within equities, defense stocks. Have the latest developments in the Ukraine war strengthened your convictions? Well, we think
1: they do. For example, even though Russia itself has been weakened and chastened by the events of September, we think a major implication of that is that Russia will be driven even more surely into the China camp and become even more under the influence of China. Russia will be another in a long list of commodity exporters under the tutelage of China. And as the U.S.-China geopolitical rivalry intensifies over time, we suspect that The China camp will increasingly weaponize those mineral and energy commodities against the U.S. camp. In other words, those commodity supplies are likely to come under pressure, which should keep their values high. Now, on the defense side of things, remember that much of Ukraine's recent success has come from advanced weapons made and provided by the U.S. There's still enough fear of Russia in Western Europe to ensure years of defense modernization and increased defense budgets. We suspect the success of U.S. weaponry will mean that U.S. defense firms will get the lion's share of the new procurement spending, and that should be very good indeed for their stock prices.
2: You know, an important element to this war was the sanctions put on Russia that froze its foreign reserves. This action will have, we think, long-lasting effects on trade and globalization. A mirror of the supply chain is a payment chain, and the actions taken by the U.S. and E.U. suggest there is no reliable reserve currency and reserve asset. Thus, there'll be a greater incentive to hold commodities, at least as part of a country's reserve base. That will make the world less efficient, which tends to support natural resource prices.
0: One more question, Bill and Patrick. Are there any newer investment wrinkles? maybe, created by the Ukraine war that you're keeping a serious eye on?
2: Well, you know, the war and the pandemic haven't created trends, but they've accelerated trends that we've identified before, primarily the end of globalization as it has been practiced since the end of the Cold War. What we are going through now is what the new world will look like. We think we have the broad context correct. Inflation will be higher, profit margins will be lower, and labor will gain on capital, expansions will be shorter. But history never exactly repeats itself. For example, what I have described doesn't sound especially bullish for equities. However, the financial system isn't the same as it was in previous inflation events. We could easily see a situation where equities become liquid enough to act as near monies, which could end up being bullish. Overall, we continue to favor shorter-duration assets, value stocks, dividend payers, commodities, short-duration fixed income. But it is important for investors to realize that it's easy to get captured by a narrative and thus having a degree of flexibility makes sense.
0: Thank you, Bill and Patrick. As we wrap up, we wish to state that our discussion today is based upon sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Phil Adler.